In today's gospel, we hear our Lord say, No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And he continues on, I have called you friends. Today I'd like to talk about friendship. Friendship among men and friendship between men and God. Now, friendship has been defined as a relationship of mutual benevolence, mutually known and based on the moral good of the different components of this classic definition, I'd like to focus on the last. The idea that friendship is based on the moral good. If you'll recall, last Sunday I preached about how our conscience teaches us infallibly to love the moral good. Continuing on with this theme, let's dig deeper into this idea of the moral good. It is helpful to distinguish it from two other kinds of good. The pleasurable good and the useful good. First, the pleasurable good. Last week's homily featured the marshmallow test. For the five-year-old who underwent the test, the marshmallow was regarded as a good and was loved by him because of the pleasure it brought him. But this kind of good can be abused, can it not? Someone could eat too many marshmallows, for example, and get sick to his stomach. And so this brings us to the useful good. Take, for example, Pepto-Bismol. Probably not most five-year-olds' beverage of choice. Let's imagine, though, one of our five-year-olds passing the marshmallow test and the adult giving him as his reward not just one more marshmallow, but the entire bag of them. A few dozen marshmallows later, doubled over with abdominal pains, our five-year-old is open to the suggestion that he take some Pepto-Bismol. This disgusting, chalky concoction is not a pleasurable good, but it is a good means to a given end, that end being the curing of the stomach ache. But the useful good can be turned to evil, can it not? What if the useful good is used as a good means to a bad end? For example, a, a given knife might be good at helping me murder someone, and this good thing would then be bad. Now, in contrast to the pleasurable good and the useful good, we have the moral good. Unlike the marshmallow, the moral good is not good because of the pleasure it brings. And the moral good can never be abused. And unlike the Pepto-Bismol, the moral good is not good simply because it is useful for achieving some ulterior end. The moral good is not a means to an end. It is an end in itself because 
it is good in and of itself. In this sense, virtue is a good. Patience, fortitude, chastity, justice. Virtue is to be pursued regardless of the pleasure or usefulness that might accompany it. The moral good is to be sought even if it costs us our life. And so let's go back to friendship. True friendship is based on the moral good. If our relationship with someone is based on the pleasurable good or the useful good, it is not friendship in the proper sense. It might be just fine, but it's not friendship in the proper sense. And sometimes it can descend into a bad, a negative, or an evil relationship. Now, friendship is different than this. One friend loves the other simply because of his virtue and goodness. And the love of friendship is so steadfast that it is given even at the cost of one's life. I am reminded of the legend of Damon and Pythias. This is a story about two pagan philosophers who lived hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. Both Damon and Pythias had as their life's goal the pursuit of truth and moral goodness. They were an inspiration to each other in this pursuit and they were the best of friends. In their travels together, they came to sojourn in the city of Syracuse in Sicily. At some point, the tyrant king of Syracuse accuses Damon of conspiring against him. Damon is innocent, of course, but nothing can be done. The tyrant's will cannot be thwarted. Three months from today, the tyrant decrees, Damon shall be put to death. Damon is not disturbed. His conscience tells him he is innocent. His only concern, though, is for his wife and children. He tells the tyrant, therefore, that in three months' time he will gladly submit to death if, in the meantime, he is allowed to travel home so as to secure the future well-being of his family. Ha! Ah. If I let you go now, I'll never see you again, the tyrant says. Do you take me for a fool? At this point, Damon's friend Pythias intervenes. Here I am, O king. I will take the place of Damon. If in three months' time he doesn't return, you can put me to death. The tyrant agrees to the arrangements. After going home and getting things secure for his family, Damon journeys back to Syracuse, but not without great difficulty. He encounters storms on the high sea and pirates and all sorts of other dangers. Throughout his difficulties, though, he never once considers turning back. Although he's innocent, he is determined to give up his life rather than see his friend die. Back in Syracuse, Pythias never once doubts that Damon intends to return. 
He knows his friend too well. Moreover, Pythias is firmly determined that if chance should prevent Damon from returning in time, he will lay down his life for his friend. Well, of course, as we can imagine, the day arrives and it looks as if Damon will not return. Just when the executioner's sword is raised and ready to fall on the neck of Pythias, Damon shows up and saves his life. The tyrant, impressed by the love of each friend for the other, spares the lives of both and even begs them to regard him as a third partner in their friendship. What is important to note about this story is its pagan origin. Natural man, apart from supernatural revelation, can know by his reason the nature of the moral good. And he can know that friendship is based on the moral good. What about God, though? What about friendship with God? This the pagans could not have conceived of. In fact, the pagan philosopher Aristotle famously said that friendship between man and God is impossible. God is too far away from man for there to be a friendship between them. So this is where supernatural revelation surpasses our reason. In Jesus Christ, God has done the inconceivable. He has become man, and he has died to restore to us the gift of grace, which is none other than friendship with God. Through the Incarnation, God is no longer too far away to be our friend. Through the Incarnation and through grace, God has come near, like Damon, Our Lord Jesus has gone through trial and tribulation to return again to his friend, the friend he left behind. He has not forgotten this friend. He has not abandoned us to die at the hands of sin. He has laid down his life for us to be set free from its tyranny. And in doing all of this, he has enabled us to realize in our lives what is truly good, morally good. And with the restoration of moral goodness comes the restoration of true friendship. Jesus has restored to us friendship with God and also friendship with our fellow human beings. The legend of Damon and Pythias doesn't have to be a legend. It can be actualized in reality among us Christians. How many would-be meaningful relationships are corrupted by one or both parties' inordinate attachment to pleasure? How many would-be meaningful relationships are ruined by one or both parties' inordinate attachment to the useful good? But because of what Jesus has done for us, we no longer have to be held captive by pleasure We no longer have to use or manipulate people. Jesus has set us free to do the moral good and to develop with one another deep relationships based on the moral good. 
Jesus has made us his friends and has taught us and enabled us to be true friends to one another.